Is this thing on? Welcome back to another episode of the Summits Podcast. Today on this February 22nd of the year Deuce Deuce, as we like to call it, or I like to call it, nice set of deuces here for today. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We are joined today uh, by none other than Mr. James Henshaw, a uh, a proud Heroes Foundation board member who we appreciate for all of his time and support. But uh, he's not here in a board capacity today. He's here to talk about his cancer story, and uh, we will get into that here shortly. Mr. Henshaw, welcome to the Summits Podcast. Thanks for having me. You are welcome. Um, Why don't you introduce yourself and let everybody know a little bit about your history? Okay. So I guess on the personal front, um, I grew up in Richmond, Indiana. Yep. And uh, I've got, I'm married to Amy Henshaw, and we've got three kids, uh, if I remember the ages right, 28, 26, and 21, Matthew, Laura, and Rachel. Um, How's the leg healing, by the way? She's doing fine. Yeah. She's, you know, still a little embarrassed about the whole thing, but she recovered pretty quickly and got out of her cast in time for the Christmas vacation, so okay. she was good. Perfect. Um so on the professional front, I'm an attorney at Denton's Bingham Greenbaum. I've been practicing for almost 30 years now. I started with a firm, uh, Bingham Summers Walsh and Spillman, and have pretty much been with that firm since 1992. Uh, although there's different names now, we've associated had, with it, yeah, over the different years, combinations, yeah. and now we're part of the largest law firm in the world with the Denton's uh, platform. So. Okay. Um, when you say largest in the world, is it based on attorney headcount or how yeah, they... it's, it's something like twelve thousand lawyers. Okay. Wow. So wow. here in Worldwide. our in our footprint, we're more like in the hundred twenty to hundred fifty range, depending okay. on what day you ask us, kind of thing. And our our footprint is the Indiana, Kentucky, and Cincinnati markets. Okay. Yep. Is, is there a certain area that sh- your team focuses on, or is I mean, with that many people, I'm sure you have someone that can do just about anything. Yeah. Um, but is there, I mean, you particularly, do you focus on one side of um, one legal aspect over others or? Yeah. So for the, for the whole firm, we pretty much cover the spectrum. We can, okay. we've yeah. got attorneys who can do anything for my own particular footprint. I do litigation and I deal with disputes mostly um, over intellectual property. So about two thirds of my practice is um, patent infringement, trademark infringement, okay. copyrights, trade dress, um, those kinds of fights. And then the other third is basically any kind of complex litigation, breach of contract, partnership disputes, environmental disputes. And I've got some uh, clients that I help them with their retail operations, premises liability kind of thing. Um, So that's my practice. And then in in our footprint, we've got, I'm I'm a co-chair of our litigation department and we do the whole waterfront in litigations, including white collar crime, down to just basic personal injury kinds of litigation. So it's, it's okay. pretty much everything. Yeah. Wow. So we don't really want to have to utilize your service. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I get it when I when I wrap up a case and you know my clients are usually most of the time pretty happy, but I also get it when they never want to see me again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Well um 
three kids. I know one is at DePaul currently. That's right. What were the other, other two ages again? Or So Matthew's 28, and he's okay. out in Seattle. He does private equity. Uh, just moved out there with his fiance from Chicago. And then the middle one, Laura, and her significant other, is they're in, uh, in uh, Denver. They just moved out there. They've been okay. traveling the world, literally, like uh, teaching. They okay. teach English uh, first in Peru, then they moved to China right when COVID was going mm -hmm. crazy. And then they moved to Vietnam, and then Vietnam went really crazy, so they got out of Vietnam and came home, okay. and now they moved out to Denver. Huh? Why Denver? I might could think of some reasons, but yeah. curiosity. Well, so it, it's a very popular place and it's beautiful sure. yeah. and they're very outdoorsy people, okay. um, number one. But I think the main reason is Josh, her significant other, wants to go into teaching He want, okay. in, at, the, at the college level. So he okay. wants to get his PhD in philosophy. He's like a triple major from IU, mm. um, poli-sci, history, and um, philosophy. Okay. And so he wants to teach that. And they've got a really strong program out there, although now he's starting to look at other programs out in the West. Sure. So. Yeah. So, I mean, I know a little bit about Denver just having you know, on the assessor side an operation out there. That market is exploding. Right. Um, obviously, you have, a lot, you have an influx of people from the West Coast coming in uh, to places like Salt Lake City and Denver and whatnot, but still have a, a large movement out of college, younger folks, outdoorsy active lifestyle folks wanting to move out there and it's mm -hmm. between the two it just the infrastructure is not kept up which right. is which is too bad but it's 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 blown up from a, a market standpoint housing prices have skyrocketed yeah. so yeah. if you've owned a house there for 15 years <laughs> in good right. shape doing pretty good yeah. i was out there like two years ago on business and i was talking to the uber driver mm -hmm. on the way to the to the place i was working and we were talking about that the, the the radio broadcast was just repeating the story of basically if you've got any kind of emergency situation don't call 911 because we can't get to you yeah. it, you only call 911 if it's x y and z which is life and death kind of things okay and so it was remarkable and he was talking about that very point the infrastructure the ability for the um the resources to keep up with the yeah. population crush was just yeah. remarkable. We, yeah. we have a conversation. I, I'm sure it's one of those that's been going on for years, um, not to get off too far off track here, but the the idea that you have Denver here in the middle and then you have Fort Collins and Colorado Springs, at what point does it all kind of blur together? Mm -hmm. um, still may be a while, but I know that the, uh, the, the areas that they're starting to build houses and all that, um, it's the lines are getting blurred, let's put it that way. Yeah. Yeah, Which right. for us is a good thing, but I digress. Um, <laughs> all right, so Dens has been great partners of the Heroes Foundation over the last couple of years for sure. Uh, so we thank you guys uh, for that. You and Bree have been um, amazing there, um, supporting the foundation, also being very active, not just in the board, but also with our different events. Um, but there's there's a reason behind that, obviously. I mean, we've all we all have been affected by cancer in some way, shape, or form, some uh, more closely than others. So with February being Bile Duct Cancer Awareness Month, James, what is your cancer story? Well, so it started in February of 2011. So it's been, you know, 10 plus years now. And I guess the, the what's what started off as what everybody thought was probably going to be GERD, right? The reflux mm -hmm. condition i was having problems where i would i would eat my whatever meal and it would feel like there was something sticking in my gut 
and there was just kind of an irritation of almost like a like a stick stuck in my gut something was blocking it so that was kind of the first thing let's look into that i went to a gastroenterologist he starts doing some tests and some blood work he thought it was GERD so they started treating it as if it was GERD and I was taking like Prilosec or something like that and then another condition started popping up and that one is just uh, my my I started having jaundice okay and it was manifesting in the sense that my pee was this really dark amber color it wasn't Mm -hmm. normal yellow and so I'm, I'm pointing this out to them and and they're still thinking it's just GERD but let's let's uh, let's get an ultrasound done. Yeah. So okay, I'll, I'll I'll get to that. But I was I was traveling. I had to be out on the West Coast for a case, and so I was constantly putting off the ultrasound. And so I go in to get the ultrasound maybe two or three weeks later, and they saw that my gallbladder was enlarged. And at the same time, they ordered some blood work, and they discovered that my bilirubins some chemical some mm-hmm. substance that your liver generates is off the charts and so at that point the diagnosis became well you probably have gallstones so that's good news my my, my dad is a, a was a surgeon he actually died from brain cancer about four years ago um so he's he's i'm talking to him constantly through what's going on and he's he's my own personal consultant on these right. things and yeah that's good news we, we can deal with gallstones that's an easy fix remove the gallbladder and so the first step then was I, I switched to a different gastroenterologist, a guy named uh, Dr. Dan Chacha. Um, he's out of the community north, and he's fantastic. He saved my life. Um, he starts looking at it, and he does what's called um, an EUS, which is basically an endoscope ultrasound, hmm. to go in. And the idea was that he could literally uh, remove with a mechanical device, the gallstones, and stop the blockage of the gallbladder. Only he gets in there and there's no gallstones. And what he sees with the ultrasound was a thing called shelving, which is um, just basically, you know, like a box shape in the middle of my bile duct. And so the the shelving of the box shape in the middle is what he's, he's looking at it and he's talking to my dad and I remember coming out of the anesthesia for this and everybody's got this look on their face and they're talking about cancer all of a sudden. And don't know for sure, we need to do some, some uh, biopsy to make sure, but that's the first time I heard the word cancer. Um, so then the next procedure was an ERCP, endoscopic something. I don't know what the <laughs> RCP stands for, but basically yeah. they went in and they took a biopsy of the box and they also put in a stent at the time to relieve the pressure from all the backed up uh, bile yeah right that was in the in the gallbladder and then a couple weeks later i get the diagnosis that in fact it's cancer so at that point it had to been um it had to have been in in mid to late march um when all of this is coming together so looking at bile duct cancer and trying to figure out what that's all about, um, I just remember having conversations with my dad. And you know, my dad is pretty, pretty low-key. He doesn't get worked up about anything. And mm-hmm. he was pretty emotional in telling me, yeah, this is not good. This is, he's looking at the statistics. And it, I don't know what they are now, but at the time it was like you, 
15 to 20% survival rate. So 20 to yeah. 85, or, or I'm sorry, 20 to 15% survive, 80 to 85 don't make it. Right. Yeah. And so it's, you know, it's pretty alarming. This is not, this is not your average bear kind of thing, right? So we start doing the research on well, what's the path to victory look like? How do you fight this thing? And um, pretty much the, the universal, this is the best chance of fighting it, is to undergo a surgery that's called the Whipple surgery. <laughs> like, okay. you know, don't squeeze the Charmin. Yeah. Ever, that may be too old for a <laughs> reference for you. But I remember. Yeah, there was an old commercial about Charmin toilet paper where Mr. Whipple would say, don't squeeze the Charmin. Okay. I only so, remember the bears. So, oh, yeah, yeah. You know. <laughs> so this, this was named after some famous surgeon who developed this procedure, um, Dr. Whipple. And I guess uh, short of a organ transplant, it's the most complicated surgery. It's like an eight-hour surgery where they basically cut you open and gut you and they take out a bunch of organs and then they replumb you and stitch you back up. And so you, you lose part of your stomach, you lose the duodenum, you lose your gallbladder, you lose the common bile duct, and you lose most of your pancreas. And then they, like I said, they replumb you and make all kinds of new connections. Um, so that's the, that's the path to your best chance of fighting it. And even then, you know, your, your odds really kind of suck. Um, so, okay, well, where can we get this done? My dad had actually done a couple of these, but he's like, no, you, you need to go to a place where they do this, they do a lot of it, and they're experts at it. Yeah. Okay, well, where, where is that? Well, one of the things that is a big message uh, for me or big takeaway from this is always count your blessings, don't count your woes. <laughs> and so one of the big blessings is right here in our backyard at Simon Cancer Center, we're two of the most preeminent um, Whipple surgeons in the country. People travel all over the world to come see these guys. Wow. And so we're right on the eve of spring break. Um, we're kind of in this, you know, mad dash for <laughs> what's the solution? How do we fight this? Can we get this lined up? And we, we, my dad knew some, some folks at um, IU and talked to them and narrowed it down to these are the two best choices. So we went and we talked to Dr. Tom Howard and he's like, what's your availability next week? <laughs> well, we were supposed to be on spring break, but we canceled spring break and went in for the surgery. Um, and that was April 4, the, the, the day of the Butler um, UConn basketball yeah. men's Final Four championship game. Mm -hmm. I remember coming out of the surgery and seeing it in the recovery room. I don't remember <laughs> anything about the game beyond that. But I do remember kind of watching it. But you know, went in that morning and came out that night and had the surgery. It was successful. I guess from there, there's like a, it's typically a two hour, or I'm sorry, a two week recovery period in the hospital. So I was in for like two weeks, um, had some complications like my stomach shut down. So you, you can't eat food. Your stomach basically becomes paralyzed. And so they had to feed me through a tube in the arm. Um, and then there were some infections at the injunction or the juncture sites where they reconnected me. Um, but pretty much went as planned. 
and recovered just fine. They sent me home uh, for about two months, I think it was. I recovered physically from the surgery. I lost, I, I was like 60, 70 pounds. I, was, I weighed 210 and I got down to 160 or so, whatever that math is, 60 pounds. Um, so at that point, then we start the chemo and they do a combination where they, they line you up for chemo for a, a month or two and kind of prime the area and then do radiation on a daily basis. So it was, it was what basic. What area were they radiating? Well, right? it's kind of, yeah, it's a good question. I asked the same because everything's gone, right? right. Yeah. And so what are you aiming at? And the concept was to just kind of sweep the, the bed is what they kept calling it, okay. where the tumor and all these organs were. Hmm. Um, the, tu- the reason they had to do that was the tumor had spread. It had, it had gone in, out of my um, bile duct yeah. and it had gone into the duodenum and it had spread to my lymph nodes. Okay. So hence we got to do the chemo. We got to kind of cover the whole bed. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think it was like a month, maybe a month and a couple of weeks of the radiation on a daily basis. The chemo itself was once a week. It was um, Jim Cytobine, and I had allergic reactions to the chemo for a while, so they had to treat that for a while. But it was my, my routine was basically for it, until November, so May to November was my treatment. Wow. And I would, I would go in on a Monday. They'd do all the blood work, make sure I was okay. They'd give me the chemo. I'd go into work. On Tuesday, I'd go into work more for just kind of getting my mind off of things. And then Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, it would kick my ass and I'd be, you know, in bed at home, could barely move kind of thing. And then the weekend would come Saturday, I'd start to recover. Sunday, I'd be back on my feet and then Monday do the, do the whole thing again. So, so it was an every week thing. Every week. Wow. There was, I think I got a, like a, it was either a three week or two week reprieve sometime in the middle of that to just kind of take a break. And we went down to South Carolina and vegged on the beach for a while and enjoyed that and just got a break from it. Um, so that was basically the routine. It was, uh, the diagnosis was stage two B for cholangiocarcinoma, extra hepatic cholangiocarcinoma, meaning it was actually outside of the liver. So if you think of the bile duct, um, there are a bunch of tubes inside of your liver, Mm -hmm. liver, and then they come together as they come out of the liver. That's where you have your gallbladder. And then they connect up to the ducts from your pancreas in the common bile duct, and then they shoot into your duodenum, the beginning of your small intestine. So the tumor was outside of the liver. Again, another big blessing. If it had been inside the liver, then they're talking about you know, whether you can really do uh, Whipple yeah. versus some other kind of surgery. Mm-hmm. Without, you know, obviously a lot changed inside, right? Mm-hmm. Um, were there any, have there been any um, lasting effects that you've noticed from that? Um, like change of diet or anything along those lines? So um, <clears throat> one of the things that people who are fighting this are always curious about is, um, Oh, what's the, there, there's a valve at the bottom of your stomach, um, that holds the contents of your stomach mm-hmm. in and I'm spacing on the name of it right now, but 
whether or not they can save that valve when they do the surgery. Okay. So with me, they were able to, able to save the valve. So a lot of people who have this surgery, they eat their food and it just shoots right through them. Okay. I mean, it's, it's not pretty. Yeah. Um, so for me, they, it, they were able to save that. So my, my ability to eat food and, and keep it in and get the nutrition from it, um, is there. So that's real important. Mm-hmm. But because I don't have a pancreas or I've, I've got a pancreas that is the size of a golf ball now. Okay. And what's normal size? I'm, I, I, yeah, I don't know. It's <laughs> maybe think Bigger of like that, a, yeah. a, a large banana or something okay. in terms of length. And then there's like a big head okay. on it as it gets closer to the liver. So okay. all of that head part is gone. There's just a little nub. And so the pancreas generates all kinds of enzymes that break down your food mm-hmm. and then allow the rest of your intestines to absorb the nutrition. Well, I don't have, so every day I've got to take a medication called uh, Creon to basically break down my food so that I get the nutrition. Okay. And then the other thing they kept watching for me, watching me for was um, diabetes. The pancreas generates the insulin that mm-hmm. allows you to take the insulin out of your b- bloodstream and get it into your organs and the cells and things mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. And so for forever, it was working just fine. And I think they were surprised about that. But then a year and a half, two years ago, I became diabetic. Okay. So now I have to take, I'm, I'm not a type one, I'm not a type two, I'm somewhere in between. So mm-hmm. now I have to take both insulin as well as um, medications to make my cells more receptive to okay. the insulin yeah. and, the, and the sugar. So there's the, just the chemistry of it effect. Mm-hmm. Um, mechanically, I have these episodes where the intestines are now, they're cattywampus, right? They're going in wrong directions. And so if, if you think about the way the intestine works, it uses spasms to move the food through it. Mm-hmm. Well, now things are going in the wrong direction, at least part of the way. So sometimes that causes me to have these episodes where I'm, I'm, I have these really high fevers and it, you know, body aches and it just shuts me down. I have these episodes where I've just got these terrible gut pains that they're kind of debilitating you can't really function and do anything but typically those are lasting like less than 24 hours they knock me out for a day and i'm back on my feet and i'm fine it's like it never happened yeah um but beyond that it's fine okay right i mean i got a big i got a big scar down my belly and i remember my my um my youngest rachel the one that broke her leg Mm -hmm. she had heart surgery when she was like four years old she had a small um BSD, a, a small hole in her heart that was pretty routinely fixed, but she had open heart surgery. And when we broke the news to the kids, you know, the, the older two were crying and, you know, I'm all emotional. I'm getting emotional thinking of it. Um, but my youngest, she walks in and she's kind of like, okay, so you're going to have a scar? I said, yeah. She says, how big? <laughs> I said, I don't know. It'll probably go from here to here. Will it be bigger than mine? No, probably not okay <laughs> that's all she wanted to know. she is the one that's going to go on she's studying to um become a clinical researcher in chemistry or uh, in in fighting cancer and that's what she her passion is now so she, yeah. she's got the ability to to really make some progress in the in the battle yeah well that's we awesome. all clearly thank her for that yeah for a lot of reasons and wish her wish her well uh, in her studies and and future endeavors there so we're about 10 years out 
um, for those who have had the the diagnosis of cancer, you know, five years is a, is a big milestone. Ten years, another big milestone. Um, do you know if there's been much change in the last ten years? If someone, you know, John or Jane Doe were to be diagnosed today with the same diagnosis, do you know if anything has changed in terms of their care? Would they have the exact same protocol that you had um, today as, as you did 10 years ago? I don't know the answer to that, but two of my, um, so I, I still go to Simon Cancer Center. My oncologist um, used to be Dr. Shada, yeah. who was a recipient of one of the grants from Heroes Foundation. And now it's um, Dr. Anita Turk. Okay. And she's she's aggressively researching and conducting research and working with um, other researchers all over the country on cholangiocarcinoma. And I, occasionally we'll ask them, have there, has there been progress, has any breakthroughs? I don't think there's any been any great breakthroughs, so I think that the treatment would probably be pretty much same. the same. Yeah. The, the way you got to fight this is the Whipple surgery and then come in with the chemo and the radiation. Right. Yeah. I mean, I ask that because like some people will say, well, 10 years has not been that long. And you're right. In, in a way, a decade goes by like that. But right. then at the same time, things are constantly happening, constantly evolving. It's curious as to as to if anything's changed, because, you know, we're, we're hearing certainly all kinds of new discoveries and, and, and different things going on. Um, how would you say that that's a loaded question, but how would you say cancer has most impacted your life? That is a loaded question. (laughs) (laughs) So I guess at some level there's, there's of course the physical medical, right? You've got a different physiology. You've got to deal with all the medicines. You're constantly in the mode of every little twitch, every little pang is kind of like, wait, is that the boogeyman? And I better go, get a CT scan or something to probably altered your chances of getting on the ATP tour. Yeah. 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 I could have been. (laughs) No, I never could have been on that tour. Um, but the, the other way, I think it really affects you and it's, and it's, I think it's kind of weird to, to think of it this way and say it, but I still believe it is that it's some way it's kind of a blessing in that it makes you appreciate what you've got. And like I said earlier, I'm a big believer in you count your blessings. And I think so much about your battle with cancer is your attitude. And at at some level, I even think of it as an attitude of gratitude, right? You're constantly Mm -hmm. thinking about, and and I think it's real important to articulate your appreciation for what you've gotten to actually say thank you. And, And whether you're just saying thank you to yourself, whether you're saying thank you to the universe, whether you're saying thank you to God, which is my path, um, is to say that and articulate. So I'm, I remember like kind of coming out of that, 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 that fog of all of the, the pain medications and the anesthesia fog and 10 plus years ago, and just sitting outside on my, on my back deck, being thankful I could hear birds being thankful I could feel the sunshine, the warmth of the sunshine on my skin, being thankful I could feel the breeze in the spring, you know, blowing across me and just count your blessings and build from there, from the just basic sensations to all of the things that are really important in your life, your family, their love, 
the resources that you have, the fact that you've got medical insurance that can take you, the, the fact that you've got you know some of the world-class physicians and, and treatment centers here in our backyard, um, just being, being sure to, to articulate that every day. So I think at some level, that is something I do every day. Every day I, I say a prayer and I, and I walk through my blessings and I say thank you. Um, I think that it also makes you think about your priorities, right? I mean, so I'm an attorney. There's a lot of demands on my time. Um, and I love it. And I love doing what I do. And I've loved it for a long time. But I also think, man, I don't know if I want to be that 70 year old partner shuffling around my law firm still doing this. I, I, I think about, man, there's so many other things that I want to be doing and enjoying and experiencing. Um, my wife, who was a, was a huge help to me throughout this whole process, emotionally, um, kind of education-wise. I mean, she's, she's always there at my side talking me through translating what, what the <laughs> hell did that doctor just say to me? Or I, I don't understand what right. he just said. Um, so she and I are constantly thinking about, well, what are we going to do and how much longer are we going to be in our professions and keep doing what we're doing versus let's go travel the country, let's go travel the world, let's go do these things, spend time with our children, um, you know, see this, this wonderful garden that God's created for us and go in and enjoy it. So there's a, there's a philosophical change too, right? I think... Um, I guess the other part of it, too, is not just going and, and seeing things or doing things, but it's being with other people, connecting, right. Mm -hmm. right? And I guess that's another blessing from cancer. If you think about, basically, you get this, this message, and, and I always think of it as kind of like a stun grenade. You know, you see the movies, not that I've ever experienced a stun grenade other than <laughs> in the movies, but you see the movies where the stun grenade gets thrown in the room, and there's this explosion, and everything goes silent except for the humming in your ears right. and and you see the voices or the mouth moving but you can't really hear anything that's kind of what the initial <laughs> impact of that cancer diagnosis has been but as you get through that as you fight the physical fight you start to realize that this is a much different creature than say hey i got hit by a car and i'm gone mm -hmm. i now have the blessing of time i have the time to spend with my wife, with my children, with my mom, with my dad, with my brother, my sister, with my family, with with all my friends. I mean, it was it was kind of remarkable the number of friends who kind of came from all over the country to make it back to Indianapolis or Richmond to just kind of say, hey, let's get together and let's reconnect. And, you know, at the time, you don't know what your path is, right? You're still basically on that 80% don't make it mm -hmm. um, kind of mentality. So you get that time to connect, reconnect reminisce and at some level let people know that you love them and that they love you so it's a it's a it's a blessing in that sense that you know unlike the car crash where somebody's just gone you don't get that time yeah so yeah well then that begs another loaded question so let's fast forward and i'm not going to put a timeline on this by any means but let's say the day comes you're like okay i'm i'm done being an attorney it's time to retire or reinvent myself what, what do you what are you gonna do you're not gonna sit at home your wife i mean god love her she loves you 
She loves hanging out with you, but she doesn't want you at home That's 40 right. hours a week. <laughs> I'm speaking on her behalf. Um, You've been talking to her. I think most of our wives feel this way. Yeah. So then, then what, though? I mean, is, I it, is it, you know, yeah, it's travel and do all that. But, like, a, a typical week, whether you, you're living here or you've, you've bought the place in Sanibel or wherever, wherever you may be, is it, is, it, is it teaching tennis? Is it, I, I don't know, what, what, what does that look like? I plan to just sit in my lounger and drink beer and watch football. Isn't that, isn't <laughs> I that mean, true? No, I think that's I, fair. Yeah. No, I, I, it's a great question and I don't have an answer for it. Yeah. And that's, that is, that is the big question is what next? Because I, right. it is not just sit around and do nothing. It yeah, is not just, Hey, we're going to go and to these different places and sit around and do nothing. Yeah. Well, we've seen too many people who choose the sit around and do nothing and I'm not gonna put everybody in the set, you know, paint a broad brush, but um, it, it's not. It doesn't usually end very well. Yeah. It doesn't mean that they have a long, fulfilling retirement, typically. Yeah. Um, and I would not expect you to be one of those people to do that. So, yeah, I'm just curious what that what that might look like. I don't know yet. I don't. And but it is it is something that you know. Fortunately, you can you can. I'm a, I'm a personality type that I got to be doing something. Yep. Right. And I guess one of the things that I've learned is how important it is having been on the receiving end of people who give me their heart, give me their time, watch out for me and care for me is how do I reciprocate that? Yeah. And do it in a meaningful way. So I don't know what that is. I don't, I don't think anybody would pay me to teach them how to play tennis. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, you gotta have some patience. Um, here's a, I don't, I'm not a racket sports guy. Um, nothing against i just i just never got into it for whatever reason i was telling you earlier my dad played tennis in college and i i never he would get so mad at me because i would want to go out there and and they would you know lob the ball or put the balls in the tennis machine and uh, i would shoot the ball the other side and all i want to do was like crank it out over the fence hit the home run and you know the 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 tennis pro would look at me like kid like go play baseball just get out of here like you're wasting my time um what the hell was i go with that you're, you're, you're about to say oh. how you picked up pickleball and you play pickleball <laughs> well, all the time. Right? So that's what I was going to ask you. Like, you're, 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 a, you're a mainline tennis guy. How do you are, – are you open to pickleball and in the wintertime playing, you know, platform? Platform, yeah. Um, are those of interest? So I haven't played platform tennis, so I don't okay. know. I don't know about that sport, but yes to pickleball. So okay. um, we've got friends who are tennis friends who – you know, say, hey, come on, let's go play pickleball. And of course, right. we're, let's go try it. And so now we own our pickleball paddles and equipment and we'll play it wherever. Yeah. Um, my brother-in-law, he is a, a sports fanatic and he loves all the racket sports. So he's constantly playing and challenging us. And yeah, I mean, um, I guess it's grown. Yeah, it's crazy. Tremendously. Ridiculously. Yeah. And I think part of that's yeah. because, and, and my, so my dad, and he's, he's gotten into pickle. Uh, my dad's 80. Two, oh, that's great. 82 or 83. Um, and it's his form of exercise. Mm-hmm. And he's he's bought all in. So whether he's up here in Indy or down in Florida, he plays pickle all the time and loves it. And I think, as he was trying to tell me, like, you don't have to be some tennis geek to get into it. You can just get into it. It's, it's kind of like a tennis meets ping pong. Mm-hmm. Um, the age can go up higher because you're not, you don't have to be quite as mobile as you would, let's say, playing singles tennis. Um, so that's what he likes about it. Certainly it's just, it's, it's grown crazy. Yeah. It is. And, yeah. and you'll hear people 
who are the kind of diehard tennis players bitch and moan about the pickleball players and taking up court time that yeah. you know it, it, to me it's it's all good right? i would suspect and I, I could be totally wrong but like i would imagine they both kind of are helping each other grow a bit i mean both sports perhaps might be i'd have to stretch. think about that i could see tennis helping pickleball mm-hmm. sure i don't see pickleball helping tennis okay i would just wonder right. if, if maybe somehow especially for the younger population um if they get into pickle then maybe that transcends them or gets them interested in trying tennis i, I don't know maybe yeah maybe but it's it is it's you know i, I think it's both sports are similar in that it kind of depends on who you're playing against, okay, right? Yeah. So at 82 years old, if your dad went out and played against a 20-year-old, it'd be a different sure. match, right? Yeah. But the point is you can have four 82-year-olds out there playing and having a great time getting exercise and yeah. doing something um, and having fun. Christmas of 2020 down in Florida, um, I go with him to his pickleball. He was like, no, you got to come with me. I'm like, all right. Not to play, but to, to watch. Because there's a, he has this group, his pickleball group, down in Florida. He's the oldest in this group. Um, everyone's so much younger, you know, 65 to 70. And they all kind of, he's like the dad of the group. <laughs> the most foul mouth of the group. It explains a lot. Um, but... To go there and watch them all interact, half of them are, I mean, it's like yeah. 8, 9 a.m., Bloody Marys, mimosas, <laughs> God knows what else, straight, like, they're they're all in at 8 a.m. Right. Um, it was hilarious. It was fun. They were all having a great time. Um, I don't know. It was cool. I, I, I don't know if I'm, like, flashing forward to my pending retirement yeah. at some point in time, but <laughs> right. they were all having a lot of fun. They hung out afterwards. They just shot the ship for a couple hours, and then it's time to go. And that was it. Yeah. But it was, it was, it was very interesting to see. And you had, I mean, you had a, a solid 20 year span amongst all the people. And it was like a bunch of kids. Yeah. It was really cool. It's a, both sports are very social. And that's one of the things that you love about it. Right. I mean, yeah. it, I used to, two, two stories come out of what you just said. One is I used to play with a group that got together on Sunday nights. And the main criteria was that you could drink beer and play tennis and, the, and, and, continue to drink beer not just have one beer but continue to drink beer and and still play tennis and if you couldn't cut it then you know you you weren't necessarily (laughs) invited back and then the other story i remember kind of the the age gap when i came back from the i was out for about a year and a half and i played on a usta men's group and you know they they said okay once you're ready come back in and we'll, we'll we'll make make a spot for you so of course i get put on you know number three doubles and I get paired up with a guy who is a great tennis player, but he had um, had a heart attack and he had a bypass, so he had surgery on his heart. So he and I get paired up on three dubs on the men's team. And Rich Thrapp is his name, and he used to crack me up because we'd play in this league and we'd be playing 25-year-old guys at a 3-5 at a level, which mm-hmm. is you know mid-below average kind of tennis player and we when we won rich just loved to make the ceremony of walking over shaking the guys hey you guys did a, a great job and just wanted to let you know that they call us the miracle team <laughs> 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 i had open heart surgery and henshaw had you know 
abdominal surgery a year ago and but you guys played all right <laughs> <laughs> nice yeah rubbing in a little bit that's yeah, always yeah. good that's yeah. fun yeah um great timing speaking of sports um here we are end of february march 1st the fit for heroes 2022 campaign kicks off so you know if you're into racket sports and want to do a little good to uh promote cancer prevention and benefit the indiana cancer community you can start your own personal campaign uh, either at Fit for Heroes, that's Fit, the number four, Heroes, H E R O E S dot org, uh, and sign up and, and start your own team or your own campaign. Um, or just go to the Heroes Foundation website and go to the events page and you can find everything there. Um, great thing about Fit for Heroes is you call, you call what, your, what your activity is. We've done a golf thing, mm -hmm. there's been um, cycling or spinning. Um, but certainly you could do tennis, pickle, paddle, whatever, whatever you're into that gets your butt off the couch and, and gets active. That's a, that's a great idea. Um, James, thank you for joining us today. Mm -hmm. We thank you for being here. We thank you for your continued support. Um, not only being on, on the board, but supporting the foundation in general. Um, thank you to your firm Denton's for being a great corporate partner of ours. Um, and thanks for being a friend. Well, thanks for having me. It's been very nice to tell my story, but also thank you both for all the th wonderful things you do with Heroes Foundation. It's a great organization, and we're proud to be a supporter of it. Awesome. awesome. Well, thank you. And thanks to all you guys for listening in today. So whether you're uh, tuning in to wherever you get your podcasts or you're joining us on the Heroes Foundation YouTube channel, thank you as well. Um, we would like to thank you in advance. If you haven't, hit that subscribe button and also a little notification bell so you can be alerted when new episodes drop. Um, until next time. Be cancer.